episode 59 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 18th of March, 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Good evening. And Will. Hello. Yeah, no Graham. He decided to pick the most exciting Brexit-based political week to go to Europe, funnily enough. So, yes, we won't be hearing from him. Uh, we'll have an interview later on about Maru OS which is the exciting lineage-based ROM that allows you to run Debian with XFCE. But first, let's do some news. And, um, oh, what's this? I wonder who put this one in. It's the first Plasma Mobile Sprint. Why, that must have been Graham. Surely it was not I. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, the Plasma Mobile guys have got together, and they have started a concerted effort of getting the system usable. First couple of things were Angelfish, the browser, um, they've integrated that more with Kirigami, the application development framework that they have. And Kaiden, the XMPP uh, messaging app, has also had some improvements done as well. They've been working on some of the build stuff that they've had issues with KDE Neon not fully working, uh, but they've, they've kind of got those straightened out and uh, the flat packs weren't compiling properly or whatever a flat pack does when you build it together. But Harold Sitter from the KDE Neon project helped them out with that. So all good there. They're also joined by Dorata from Purism, who helped them by bringing along some kit for them to try out as well. And they have got those all running it as well. So it's quite good. So you actually have a proper OS running on them now, finally. <laughs> yeah, none of that GNOME nonsense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they now also have the uh, the PinePhone dev kit as well. So they're working on that too. So yeah, lots there. Yeah, and also some RISC-V hardware as well. So they had a lot of hardware to work on. Are you sure this was the first Plasma Mobile Sprint? I swear they've done others. I don't know. They claim it's, they said the first, I think. All right, fair enough. Well, either way, it's good to see some work being done, some like really positive work on it, because Plasma Mobile is one of those weird things where they just have a very slow pace of development, don't they? It's sort of the, the kind of thing that seems to happen in people's spare time and just as and when. It's It's not like this fully fleshed out, OS yet, and they're not claiming that it is, but it also doesn't seem to develop very quickly, does it? It is slow development, but the thing is, they've also been working sort of parallel to this. So if you follow the weekly update blog by uh, Nate um, in usability updates, and he has also been adding like, just this week, both Gwenview has had improvements to its touch interface, and Ocular has got uh, decent navigation inputs for like going forward and backwards with your finger so you can quickly tap through a document and stuff. And all that stuff just churns on in the background. So it's like a lot of these things are unseen until someone comes along in a sprint and then stitches them all together and you go, haha, here we go. And you have some massive progress made and it looks like nothing has happened up to that point. And yeah, no, I think as you say, they're honest about it. They're not trying to say it's the next greatest thing ever, but it could be and it might happen sooner than we think. Good stuff from Plasma, but I do have high hopes for it. I do want it to succeed because when we do finally get some properly free hardware, I think it's got the best chance of being a decent OS. But a little bit more news from the KDE camp. And this doesn't really affect us much, but Krita has got a version for Windows that has got support for HDR, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, not the whatever that thing is that works on your phone, tone something or other. Uh, tone mapping, I think it is. Not that. It's high dynamic range, i.e. lots more colors, essentially. Unfortunately, the only OS that supports that right now is Windows 10. Not even the Mac and not even Linux supports it. So the interesting thing I found about that was they had to do a whole lot of kung fu to get 
obviously Korea works with OpenGL. Um, they had to have a translation year to get that to work with DirectX. And then they also had to get a layer on top of that to get QT to not interfere with the buttons on the GUI, not messing up with the HDR image inside the editing panel because QT itself didn't support it either. So they had to make hacks to both of those two things to get it to work. And it was apparently several months work, which it's interesting that they spent the time working on it. So they must have a reason. There must be some market out there, Windows users looking for a decent editor, and this seems to fit the bills. So it's quite interesting that way. And support for HDR will be coming to to Linux at some point. I know that um, they mentioned this in the article, actually, that Intel are working on HDR support for Linux right now. So hopefully we'll get it soon. I hope so, but I... I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> maybe it'll come with Wayland. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, well, well, speaking of Wayland, uh, Gnome 3.32 has been released, and presumably this is going into 1904 then, Will? It is. It is already there, in fact. Um, most of it is. Uh, and we'll be releasing the new suite of applications from 3.32 very soon. So if you're running 18.04, for example you'll be upgraded to the new applications where we're shipping those as Snap, so calculator and system monitor, um, for example. So yes, it will be coming in 1904. The main features for 3.32 are um, some some relatively small changes to the way that Nightlight works. The on-screen keyboard's got emoji support. Uh, the Google Drive integration is much better. They've refreshed the icons. There's some new settings around app permissions, which will let you turn on and off things like notifications for specific applications, which is quite nice. But for me, the big two features are fractional scaling and the amazing performance increases that go into 3.32. The fractional scaling, um, I'm pleased to say, is something that Marco on the Ubuntu desktop team has been working on with Jonas upstream. Um, So they landed that fairly late in the cycle, but it's in there now for Wayland. And so now if you've got displays of different resolutions, displays of different uh, pixel density, then you can scale those uh, those two different screens independently of each other. You can scale now um, in measurements other than whole integers, so like 125%, for example, which is something that people have been asking for for a long, long time. So I'm really glad that that's in there. But if you're using X still, then you can go and fuck yourself. You're not getting that. It's Wayland only. Well, watch this space. We we want to get that feature landed for Ubuntu in 1904. So we're we're there now. There's a PPA if you want to test it. Um, I'll share some some updates on social media when it's ready to go. Uh, but yes, we we certainly hope that it will be there in time for 1904. What for X as well as Wayland then? For X, yes. Oh, excellent. So you are shipping with X again then for 1904? Yeah, so there's still you know the same problems that we, we had in the first place. Um, things are being done to address those, but I still don't feel that we're quite all the way there yet. There's still work needed. So yeah, we're sticking with X for the time being. Yeah, you've got 1910, I suppose, for your Wayland practice before 2004. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other big one was performance increases. And reading around the web, lots of people have been saying that this is like a game changer, that it just feels so much faster. And I will put my voice behind those as well. When I installed it, um, 1904 fresh the other day from the daily ISO, 
it just flew along. It felt amazing, um, like it should have been, you know, many, many years ago. So I would urge people to go and try the 1904 dailies, stick it on their laptop or in a VM and test it out. And I think you will see that the performance increases really do make the whole thing just fly along. Uh, and I'm also very pleased to say that Daniel from the desktop team has been working on that as well. So good work, guys. I should point out that you can get this on Rawhide as well on Fedora if you hate Ubuntu. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it does go to show that what we hoped would happen is happening. When Ubuntu adopted GNOME or you know went back to GNOME and, and fucked off Unity, we really hoped that you lot would be spending your time and money making GNOME better for everyone because obviously it's going to be better in Ubuntu, but Fedora, Arch, whatever, it's going to benefit from all the work that you guys are doing, right? Yeah, I mean, upstream is our primary target here. We, uh, If we've got merge proposals, they all go upstream uh, and they go into the review queue. Uh, we are free, of course, to distro patch things if we if we choose to so if perhaps something hasn't been reviewed yet or we think it's very very important then we can still put that in ubuntu first and we will do but ultimately everything will land in gnome so yeah it's it's good for everybody it's not good for me <laughs> <laughs> is it still single threaded ah <laughs> oh, just shit stirring <laughs> ignore me <laughs> Yeah, well, it does look like a solid release. I was too busy over the weekend to try it out, but um, I think I'm going to have to install the Ubuntu nightlies, and um, or dailies, you call them, don't they? Yeah. And, and see what all the fuss is about. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL, that's for late night Linux, and you can get $100 credit with 60 days to use it. DigitalOcean provide VMs or droplets, as they call them, in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. And I've been taking advantage of their services for many, many years now. I was recommending them long before they sponsored the show because it's just an excellent service. Over the years, they've added tons of new features. When they first started out, it was just the VMs with various Linux distros like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, and CentOS and even FreeBSD, and they've just added on top of that with container distros, loads of one-click apps like LAMP and LEMP stacks and WordPress and Discourse, great backups, cloud firewalls, which means that network traffic doesn't even reach your box if you don't want it to, block storage and object storage, which is really easy to set up, add to your droplet, add whichever kind of storage suits you best. They have a great Teams feature, which allows you to collaborate on projects together, without having to give people your credentials. And what I really like about it is the scalability. You can start out from as little as $5 a month, but then you can scale up in increments to get exactly what you need. They offer CPU-optimized droplets if you need that extra power. So no matter what you want to do with Linux in a VM in a data center, you can do it with DigitalOcean. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $100 credit, get started. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, well, let's move on to Debian then. And there's been a bit of drama over the last couple of weeks. It looked like they weren't going to get a leader um, because no one stepped forward for the elections. But now five plus people, I don't know, it was five last time I looked, I don't know, at least five people, shall we say, have stepped forward for that. So that's all sorted. But that kind of came around the same time as Michael Stapleberg announced that he was stepping down from his involvement in the Debian project and um, in, in a fairly decent way, not just sort of rage quitting or anything, but spelling out why he wasn't interested in being part of it anymore. And I suppose the TLDR is that it's all just a bit old and shit, all the <laughs> infrastructure, and he's just had enough of it. 
Um, I mean, Will, you are sort of piggybacking on top of Debian to a large extent, but you have very different ways of doing things which are more modern. So, I mean, you must sort of identify with quite a lot of what he's saying. Yeah. So to summarize then, I think, well, first of all, he said that the the reason that he's stepping back is because of a lack of spare time. And, and that is increasingly common, right? We talked about this a few times in the past where people start working on a project or they start their own project and then suddenly it, it becomes this massive amount of work and they find it eating into their, their real lives, as it were. And Ultimately, people are stepping down and stepping away, and then fresh people will come along. But he's, yeah, he has said, first and foremost, it's a lack of spare time that's causing him to step away. But then he does go into some of his frustrations that he's had with the Debian project over the years. And I guess now seemed like a good time to, to air his dirty laundry, if you will. Um, to summarize some of the things he said, um, he said that the, the linting that goes on in the packages themselves is a lot of red tape and slows things down and he feels that the teams who are responsible for those packages should have the power to to change them in the way that they see fit that change is too hard generally that if you um if you want to get a change to a package then you open a bug you put a patch in that bug you ask for a review and then it you know it sits there forever because everybody else working on the project is also doing it in their spare time and they're busy and there's no sort of deadlines around when these these pieces of code need to be reviewed by. And so, yeah, things drag on, which I think is fairly common um, across a lot of open source projects. But Debian is a very important project. It's, it's one of the most important distros, arguably. And so if other people are feeling the same way about it, then we should do something or they should do something about it, surely. Because otherwise, it sounds like it's not going to be great in the very long term for Debian. Well, that being said, John Gorzen, another Debian developer, chimed in with his, as he calls it, a partial defense of Debian. And he would say that, yes, definitely, there's a strong maintainer problem that Michael was talking about, where it seems that a package can have one sort of chief who runs it, and, you know, it's very difficult to affect the, you know, uh, development of that project or pushing out new changes to it, etc. And that is something that does need to be changed where the teams would be a better way of managing these things, you know. Um, and documentation is not always a strong point where, you know, there's multiple ways to do things and which one's the correct one. There needs to be some clear cut, maybe examples of building packages and the like. Mm. But he says you also don't need to be a Debian developer to actually contribute to the package. So that that's not really a a correct statement or a correct way to angle it. Where you know you can you can anybody can apply for a patch to be to be uploaded and get someone else to like sponsor it, for instance. But he would also take an argument that the fact that you know Michael seemed to be saying that you know we should have a a, a web form the the way GitHub uh, GitHub works. You can log in, make a change, you know all these sort of things. Whereas Report bugs is old, but John would say, I can just open up my email, make a patch and email it. And everything else is contained with an email. That's a good record. And it means I don't have to open up a browser. You know, things like report bugs. Also, you can pull in a whole load of information when you, when you say, Oh, I've just had a bug in that package. So, you know, report bug package name, bang, it hauls in all the info from your machine. You know, you don't get that in a web form. You lose all those sort of things because it's a disconnected sort of tool. So, I think there's kind of there's two sides to it as always sort of thing. 
Yeah, I think that generally, though, community involvement in open source projects has changed from the view 10 years ago where people who were contributing were contributing code and expertise. Uh, and these days, I think people who are contributing are more drive-by yeah. um, fixes. You know, they'll 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 find a, a bug in something and they'll want to, to open a bug. So they'll go to the bug track in Debian and then lose the will to live and not bother. Whereas if they can just bash that into a web form, then they're more likely to submit that information. The problem then, of course, is is that bug information actually of, of any use? If you can't contact the person who opened the bug in the first place, if you've got no logs about what went on, is there any is there any value in that bug? That um, I think that's a different problem. I think the the first thing needs to be uh, that needs to be acknowledged is that community participation has changed, and the Debian project or you know Ubuntu or any project needs to to change with with the way that people work on the internet these days and the web. Yeah, email. Who the fuck uses that anymore? Well, me every day and all of us every day. But there's at least a perception that people have moved on to more modern things, Discord, Slack, Telegram, whatever it is. And email is just this sort of antiquated thing. I mean, it's, it's funny, like, again, a total tangent here. I was thinking about how we've moved away from the web to this app-based use of the internet, which uses a lot of web technologies. But like thinking about um, my brother's kids or whatever, uh, and then running into nasty shit on the internet is like much less likely now because they don't really use the web much. You know, they very, I don't suppose they open the browser much. They're opening Instagram, they're opening YouTube as apps on their phone or whatever. And, you know, that's sort of an extreme one end of it. But the, the reality is that if all of your infrastructure is based around ancient technologies like email, it's going to put off new people. I'm sure there's plenty of existing people who are perfectly happy with that workflow and some new people who would adapt to it. But the reality is that that's not how things work now. And if Debian doesn't modernize, then I'm not saying it's going to be a problem in the next six months, a year or whatever. But I think, you know, in, in 20 more years, then everyone who's working on it is going to fucking snuff it. <laughs> Just to throw in a, another counterexample to that, though, was on uh, Linux Weekly News. The Open Mandriva developers talked, uh, Neil Gumpa, I think his name is, uh, was talking about the fact that they gave up on discourse because they found that it was just too demanding. You know, there was higher, it was higher and it was harder to maintain and developers just gave up eventually because they were just getting bombarded with stuff. Um, and they, they switched back to IRC and I guess email as well because it was getting to the point where there was this supposedly instant active communication channel on discourse. And nobody from the development team was in it because they just couldn't hack it anymore. And they said, no, we're just not being in there. I, I did see that article, but I wasn't clear what they were using Discourse for. What What was the goal here? To use it as a bug tracker or just a, a sort of chat? I, th I think it was a combination between chat between users, developers, and a mm. lot. And I just think it was just too much. Because, I mean, if I find that in work as well. If I'm working on on a problem right then and there, something that, you know, it's an instant chat is perfectly fine. That's exactly what you want because you say, try it now, mm. try it now. Okay, it's working great. But imagine thousands of people bombarding that thing constantly. You would it'd be like trying to drink from a fire hose, as the saying goes. Well, I, I tend to disagree with that because we relaunched the Ubuntu desktop mailing list as a discourse um, topic or, or thread uh, forum thing. Um, and we were very clear that when we did that, we weren't there to offer end user support. And we've got some incredibly dedicated admins who take care of telling people the right resources to go to if they need help. 
But what we started doing was posting our weekly updates to Discourse instead of posting it to an IRC meeting. And we've seen thousands and thousands of people read that up weekly update and we've seen news articles generated from that content that we just weren't getting before. So my experience says it's not that bad and you do reach a lot more people that way. Well, just last episode, we were talking about how the KDE project was modernizing onto Matrix. And the good thing about that is that it can tie in legacy systems like IRC. I've been sitting in that watching as people go, oh, the fucking bridge has crashed again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's just technical problems that can be fixed, to be fair. But without modernization, you don't get new blood. And, you know, I'm supposed to be this Luddite, but I do understand that people don't want to just use the same old shit. I mean, I do. I'm using XFCE for fuck's sake. But most people like new shiny things and want to go to the newest, latest platform, whatever it is. And, um, you know, maybe before when I said 20 years that all have snuffed it, that might have been a bit ridiculous. But you need to think of the future. And if you're stuck using systems that are this old already and feel outdated now, how outdated are they going to feel in 20 years or 50 years or 100 years? You know, if we haven't wiped ourselves out in a nuclear apocalypse, we need to actually think about the long-term future of this stuff. And I would say that's why Debian is doing exactly that. Stability. No newfangled stuff until they're really sure it's right. Yeah, I suppose. Well, if we haven't killed ourselves in 100 years, then email will almost certainly still be around in some form, whereas all these other things, maybe not. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. It continues to tick up every month. If you want to join them, go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you get on Patreon and support us for $5 or more, you can get an advert free RSS feed. So do check that out. Uh, if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And just a quick mention of the Ubuntu podcast get together that happened at the weekend. It's very good fun. I uh, met some listeners of uh, both shows, even though surely everyone only listens to ours, but there you go. And got fairly drunk and chatted to Wimpress until 4.30 in the morning and then got woken up with some bastards drumming outside my hotel room, which was not much fun. But the whole thing was great, and yeah, it was great to meet everyone. So uh, thanks for coming if you did. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CDN77. Go to cdn77.com, and they are a UK-based CDN provider with a standalone live streaming platform providing end-to-end video solutions. They sponsor loads of great projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, Gentoo, and Funtu. And one of their standout clients is the European Space Agency, who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all around the world. And this CDN is built from over 500 servers, all running Debian. And most of them are physical servers, only a few of them are VMs. And everything is developed in-house by CDN77. They make their own DDoS protection. and through the optimizations that they've done, they can push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine. They've got 30 points of presence in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, with daily peaks regularly exceeding 4 terabits per second. They're really big on innovation as well. They were the first CDN to implement features like HTTP2 and Broccoli compression. But most importantly, it's really easy to use. I hosted an episode of the JRS podcast on there and it was really easy to put the file on there and link to it and I've had no complaints about the speed from people downloading it all over the world. They've recently launched some new monthly plans with the best value on the market from $9.99 per terabytes as a global flat rate 
And they've also got a pay-as-you-go option with no commitments and full transparency. They've got a 14-day trial with no credit card needed, so go to cdn77.com and sign up there. And once you've done your free trial and you're ready to go for the paid option, then mention Late Night Linux to the sales or tech support team and you get an extra first payment bonus. So, for example, if you topped up $1,000, you'd get an extra 400 on top of that. So go to cdn77.com, sign up, and start delivering your content. Right, so we've got an interview now, as mentioned at the uh, beginning, and that is with Pritam D'Souza, and it's about Maru OS and their recent 0.6 release. And I think we go into mostly what it's about during the interview, but one thing that was not mentioned was, apart from moving over to Lineage as the base for this version rather than AOSP, it's also now based on Debian 9. And so, yeah, we should have probably mentioned that. But uh, otherwise, yes, uh, let's hear that now. Welcome back to the show, Preetam. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's good to have you. So I suppose we should get out of the way, first of all, for people who didn't hear you last time. What exactly is Maru OS? Sure, yeah. I used to have other ways of explaining what Maru is, but I think the simplest way to explain it is um, it's an open operating system um, that makes it a joy to use your phone as your PC. And the way we do that, it's kind of a unique spin on what other companies are doing. But what we do is that we run Android and Linux simultaneously on your device. So all you need to do is hook up to an external display, and we spin up full-fledged Debian Linux, and you can go ahead and get real productivity done on your phone. And at the same time, you can use Android on your device, both screens running independently of each other. And most importantly, this is Debian with XFCE, so it keeps me happy. XFCE, correct. (laughs) Yeah. And so what's the underlying technology here to make this work? Because it's sharing the Android kernel, isn't it? Mm -hmm, That's right. So uh, to keep things snappy and performant, uh, we we are sharing the same Linux kernel, and we're doing that uh, through the use of Linux containers. Uh, So I ported Linux containers over to uh, Android, so uh, we're, we're like legitimately spinning up a true LXC container uh, on your phone. Nice. But this used to be based on just the Android open source project, but now recently for this uh, 0.6 release, you've moved over to Lineage. Is that right? That's correct. Um, I, I just you know, I just had a blog post published recently with the 0.6 release that came out just last week, uh, talking about our move from the Android open source project to Lineage OS. And there were some uh, key reasons for doing that. Uh, the most important of, of them was probably the fact that Lineage OS offers a lot broader device support than the Android open source project. Uh, for people who have been following along with our project previously, you must have noticed that we only support the Nexus 5 and the Nexus 7 2013, which are pretty old devices right now. So, you know, I saw that as a huge bottleneck to, uh, to the velocity of the project. So we were trying to figure out ways, hey, how can we get Maru out on more devices? And probably one of the uh, lowest hanging fruits for us was probably to switch to Lineage OS and leverage all of the great device support in that ecosystem. So we made that move in, in our last release. So how easy is it to port the Maru stuff over to an existing Lineage one? Because Lineage is supported on tons of devices, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to make it easier, but how easy is it going to make it? Um, a lot easier because, you know, as I said previously, with vanilla Android open source project, um, it only comes with support out of the box for the Nexus devices and the Google devices like Pixel, et cetera. 
Um, but with Lineage OS, we can just go ahead and build right on top of the device code that the Lineage community has built. Uh, so it should it should make it quite a bit easier. Um, uh, to give you an idea, I was just playing around with uh, getting something going for uh, what was it? Uh, I think one of our community members had had, had a port going for the uh, Samsung Galaxy S9 Plus. Um, it's not official yet, but it's on the forums and stuff. And he was able to get it working fairly quickly uh, as soon as we switched over to Lineage. Actually, what was going on was that people who wanted to port it to non-Nexus and Google devices, what they were doing was they were actually using Lineage OS uh, source code, the device code, and they were going ahead and cherry picking all of the changes uh, that Maru made to Android Open Source Project and porting it over to Lineage OS themselves just because it was such a pain in the ass to uh, get the device code working on the you know raw Android Open Source Project. So our porters ended up doing that anyway. So I was like, you know what? May as well make this official and just switch switch branches over to Lineage OS so that they don't need to do this anymore. Well, I actually prefer Lineage anyway. It's got more features than just straight up AOSP. Okay, well, <laughs> that's good then. Yeah, so it suits me. It'd be good if you could um, do a port for the OnePlus 3T because me and Phelim, who's he's not here now, but he's also on the show, we've both got that phone, so it'd be great if we could get that. But uh, obviously it needs some devs to do that. That's right. I, I believe there's there's uh, there was a request for the 3T, if I remember correctly. 3T and the 5T as well, yeah. Yeah, I think they're both, or maybe it's the 5 and the 3T are quite well supported by Lineage. So. Okay. Yeah, that'd be good. Mm-hmm. So uh, how likely would it be to be able to get something a bit heavyweight than XFCE running then, Preetum? Um, Very, very possible. Uh, so uh, speaking of some of the ports in our in our developer group, uh, we actually do have Ubuntu running on there. I, I think, uh, was it 16.04 or was it 14.04? I can't remember exactly which one, but uh, it definitely is running. Uh, it seems to be okay. So that'll be uh, Unity 7 then? Yes, I believe so. Nice. Yes, I haven't actually tried it out myself, but uh, what pe- from what people are saying, it's very, very much usable. Awesome. Because that's what you said last time, that um, because it's based on pretty standard technology with uh, Linux containers, that it's it's really fairly straightforward to port any Linux to it. You could get Arch or, or anything running, right? Mm-hmm. That's, it's exactly right. Uh, since we use Linux containers, and, you know, we leverage as much of the open source technology we can that's already written out there. So uh, for Linux containers, when we build Debian, we try to leverage some of the LXC templates that they use themselves to build the Debian container. Um, so, you know, if anyone wants to build something, for example, Arch or Ubuntu, they can go ahead and get started with the LXC templates just because Maru is designed to work with containers produced from those templates. They, they are a few little things that need to be changed, of course, to make it work. But, you know, we can get 70 to 80% of the way there just from uh, the LXC templates themselves. I was reading on your website, your, your recent blog post announcing uh, 0.6, that you'd got Chromecast working. And I think that's an incredibly uh, amazing feat of engineering to get that working. Is that made easier by using Lineage or does it not really make any difference? Uh, yeah, great question, actually. Um, it, it makes no difference at all whether it's AOSP or Lineage OS to get Chromecast working, actually. In fact, we had Chromecast working um, when we were still on AOSP. 
Nice. Because the uh, for me, the, the biggest problem with the whole your phone is your PC is that you need there to be a, um, well, a, a keyboard and a mouse, certainly, but also a screen to be wherever it is you take your phone to. Mm-hmm. And certainly in the Ubuntu on Android days, those were, that was the biggest complaint that people had was that you still you can't necessarily get rid of your laptop in this situation. Um, whereas uh, I can see for people who are giving presentations, um, they could go into an office or uh, you know wherever it is they're doing their presentation, connect up wirelessly to the projector, um, assuming it supports Chromecast or indeed Miracast, uh, which you've got working as well, mm-hmm. um, and then just project directly to it and use the phone as an input device. Um, that's a, a killer feature for me. So yeah, good work. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, that I knew that was the killer feature. It's been a feature request for, for quite a while, but um, it took some time to get right. Uh, but I think I'm think we're pretty happy with how it's working right now. Um, people are trying it on all sorts of devices. I uh, Someone just posted recently in our user forum, he was using the Nexus 5 and streaming wirelessly to his NVIDIA Shield. Um, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how's the latency on that, I see? I didn't get a chance to try it out, unfortunately. Um, I, I did get a chance with my um, Slimport cable with my Nexus 5, mm-hmm. but I haven't got a Chromecast or any sort of Miracast or anything. And that would be the one thing I'd be looking for because the, if the latency is too high, then it's going to make it a bit of an unpleasant experience. That's right. So that was my initial concern with uh, wireless as well. And, and one of the reasons I was putting it off, I, I was thinking, hey, there's got to be a decent amount of latency here. I don't know if the experience will be good. But I decided to give it a try anyway. And, you know, with the early experiments on Chromecast, we're pretty surprised. I mean, when you first start it up, you can see that latency. But uh, over time, uh, it actually gets quite, quite good. The compression on Chromecast nowadays is is very good. And so it's it's noticeable. If you're used to uh, an actual wired connection, it, it absolutely is noticeable. But a lot less noticeable than I thought. Presumably it depends on the Wi-Fi that you've got. If you've got proper AC and 5 gigahertz, then it's going to be much better. Absolutely. But it's very, very usable. I mean, I don't think people are using Mario to like play you know, real-time games or anything like that, but um, we're, we're not there yet, I think. But uh, for, for everyday office kind of tasks, for development, it's absolutely perfect and very, very usable. One thing that I noticed didn't work was sound. Is there any chance of getting that actually working? Yeah, we, we really need to get audio working. Um, we have a prototype of audio working, actually. It just hasn't been merged in yet. Um, we have it working through Pulse Audio. And uh, I think the, the, the Galaxy S9 port I was talking about previously, the S9 Plus port, um, that actually has audio built in. And so I think that, that has been our test bed for audio. I need to like go in and you know tidy everything up, get it merged in, have it pass QA, and and then make it happen. But for sure, it's it's on the horizon. And has the DEX stuff had any influence on this, or is that just completely separate and proprietary and horrible? <laughs> well, it is it is completely separate. It uh, hasn't really influenced anything that we've done. I mean, uh, since they have the DEX pad now for, for the S9+, Plus, again, that's one of the reasons why we were experimenting on the Galaxy itself. Um, we actually had Maru working on the Galaxy S, S9+, Plus. Uh, like very early, early <laughs> version of it working before uh, before Samsung itself had had their Dex project out because um, we just wanted to see what it could do. And the hardware is super powerful. Um, the Dex pad works well. 
with our port so far, but um, there's still a few things we need to tighten up before it's released. And so what are people actually using this for? I mean, I've used it for testing and stuff, but the Nexus 5 that I've got has got a cracked screen and it's just, it's not powerful enough to be my daily driver phone. But are people just testing at this point or is anyone actually using it to get work done? There there are definitely a lot of people testing it. Um, However, there are also a lot of people who have, are in the same position like you, they have these old phones lying around the house um, that they can install Maru on. Let's, let's take an old Nexus 5 and they just hook it up to an external display permanently and they have a little, you know, at-home PC, basically. Um, so people are using it for that. There are people using it as their daily drivers as well, though, because people have been asking me about the Nexus 5 and all these little issues related to calling. Um, so clearly they, they've been using it as their as their main phone, even the Nexus 5, which is quite old. <laughs> Well, my wife uses a Nexus 5, um, so and she I keep telling her she should upgrade it, but she said, oh, it's fine, it's doing the job. So That's right. It is still a great phone. It was an amazing phone when it came out all those years ago, and mm-hmm. you know, I suppose people just get into the habit of upgrading their phone all the time, but mm-hmm. the reality is if you replace the battery in it, the Nexus 5 is actually, with Lineage, especially if you don't flash the Google stuff, mm-hmm. it's actually a very usable phone still. Absolutely, yeah. You, as soon as you flash the Google stuff, it, it really slows down quite a bit. Yeah, and kills your battery life and stuff as well. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's one issue with this, is that you can't use it with the screen off still. I remember last time we spoke, that was something you talked about being a very difficult problem because when you turn the screen off on an Android device, it just sort of makes the whole thing go to sleep. Uh, is there any progress on that then? Um, it's it's pretty much at the same state it was before, which is, you know, you should ideally keep it connected to power. Um, and then the phone should go into daydream, kind of like a screensaver mode uh, while your desktop is still active. So that's kind of the state we're at right now, unfortunately. You can't completely turn off the 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 phone because it just shuts down the whole thing the whole display controller and everything yeah but you can keep the desktop running in the background can't you with the screen off yes 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 yeah that's pretty cool and i mean there's there's been a couple of cool improvements actually that that came in uh 0.6 dealing tangentially with some of these things uh for, for example uh we now when we do wireless right for for wireless uh, there was an issue previously where uh, using Bluetooth keyboards and mice while in wireless mode uh, it wouldn't detect the key presses because we were reserving those input events for the desktop and not on Android. So Android's sh- screen would shut down unless you had it connected to power. So your you know your desktop also would shut down unless you turned on like keep screen screen keep screen awake or something. Uh, but now now we've actually had some changes in the input stack so that your your key presses and your mouse movements are also registered on Android. So Android says, hey, you know, you're using me and stays awake and, and all of those things. Are you aware of KDE Connect? I'm aware of it, but I haven't messed with it myself, no. Because that is an amazing project. And there's GS Connect, which is the sort of GNOME version of it. And it, that allows you to use your phone as an input device. Mm. And so it would be really cool. That's something I wish I'd tried actually now. It'd be cool to use the phone as a touchpad and keyboard. Um, and then you wouldn't need any, if you, if you had a Chromecast on your phone, then you wouldn't need any other peripherals potentially. Yeah, that, that would be a killer feature. You're right. We should definitely look into that. At least for sure as a trackpad, it makes total sense. And yeah, and, and the on-screen keyboard, yeah, it could be used as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I'd tested that. I'll have to test that after we uh, finish talking and uh, hopefully report on it 
in the show. Yeah, you know what? Now that you mention it, I thought someone, I thought there was some app that you could download uh, from the Play Store where you can use your mouse like that. It sets itself up almost like a, like a, like a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse or, or something like that. Yeah, that might well be KDE Connect uh, or GS Connect. Oh, okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what it was. And I believe someone was messing with it on Maru and I believe it worked, but you should, you should definitely try it out. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Because, I mean, that's the beauty of it. You've got a proper Linux system there. I mean, the only other problem is that shared kernel, Mm -hmm. which means that things like snaps don't work. Mm -hmm. You don't have those modern features because a device like the Nexus 5 has got this ancient 3.something kernel. Yeah, 3.4, yeah, very old. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there's just not much you can do about that, is there? Yeah, not not much at all. There's there's no way you're taking the Nexus 5 uh, to a more modern kernel than the 3.4. It's too much work. That's ARM development for you. Yeah. So if people want to download this and try it out, do you have a sort of minimum spec of a phone that um, that you would recommend people don't go below to get a, a good experience? Yeah. Um, again, people are using this on a Nexus 5, which is pretty old. Um, but the, I would argue the experience is, is definitely usable on Nexus 5, but not the best experience. Um, but on, for example, on the Nexus 5X, which is just one generation afterwards, I'd say the experience is very, very much usable. So as long as you have anything at that level or beyond around the Nexus 5X or Nexus 6P, the experience is very good because XFCE is so lightweight. So what's um, in the future of the project then? Some of the things I'd like to see uh, happen, of course, I've been you know saying this you know, even last time I was on the project, but it's uh, improved device support. And again, we moved to Lineage OS, so that should be uh, a lot more possible, a lot easier for, for our developers. Um, second thing is, again, we have Ubuntu working. So that for sure uh, should be a possibility as well. I'd like to see alternate desktop distros. Th- th- there are a few things I want to do for that, actually. Uh, right now, you know, you can only use Debian, but I'd like to make it possible uh, to have an a- app on your phone, like, like kind of like a setup wizard when you when you boot your phone for the first time running Maru, it gives you an option of, hey, you can install this desktop or this desktop or that desktop. Um, so some better uh, management panels and features like that to make it a joy to use, uh, as well as audio, as you mentioned before. Um, and then, of course, there's always hardware acceleration, which is <laughs> which everyone has been asking for. Um, but it's really the, like that's the devil's really in the details there. So uh, that's something I'd like to look into as well. That sounds like it might be a bit far off then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not easy to do. Well, I think that's what's good about the project is that you're honest. You're calling it 0.6. You're not calling it version 6 or whatever. You're not trying to claim that this is some finished product mm-hmm. that's ready for mass market. Mm-hmm. It's something that's very much a work in progress. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, is, would that be the ultimate dream, though, to get it on some OEM devices sort of pre-installed? Yeah, I mean, that'd be great. I'd love that. Um, you know, if we support audio and we have some, at least, you know, basic form of hardware acceleration working, that would be pretty great to have Maro uh, on an OEM device. And I, I'd be happy to to announce 1.0 if we get there. Yeah. And um, I see you've now got a Patreon set up to try and kind of assist financially with the development of the project. Mm-hmm, that's right. Uh, yeah, so with 0.6, I uh, wanted to make see, you know, th- actually a lot of people have been e- emailing me and asking if they could donate to the project and support. And I always said, hey, I don't take donations or anything like that. But for I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, maybe we could try some other routes for funding and, 
Yeah, so I created a Patreon page. I haven't actually announced that publicly or anything. I just hooked it up onto the website. Um, probably make an announcement regarding that a bit later. But yes, you can support the project on Patreon. Um, I also uh, give people an option when they're downloading the software to decide to pay for Maru if you want. You can pay zero if you want. It's it's going to be free. Uh, it's been free for since it's been out in 2016 and will continue to be so. Uh, but if you would like to pay for Maru because it has some value to you, you can go ahead and do that. There's an option right on the download page. Yeah, it looks very much like the elementary OS download page to me. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like that. Pay what you want. Uh, if you're in a position to pay, then, you know, every dollar helps helps the project. And presumably the, the biggest thing you want is devs to port this to other devices then. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Uh, well, hopefully there'll be some listening who will will do that. Because I, I would love to see this project grow and, and become, because this is the version of convergence that I had always envisaged. You know, th- this not this idea of, um, I, I don't know, th- there's various versions of convergence. Anyway, let's not shit on other projects. But this is <laughs> me, like a proper Android experience and then switched over to a proper Linux experience with a, a, a folder that you can have on the desktop that shares the data back and forth between them. It just seems like the right approach to me. And I'm surprised that you've not had more people mm-hmm. jump on board and, and grow grow it to a bigger project, really. And I'm, I really hope that you will get there. Like now you switch to Lineage and that you've, you've potentially got all these new devices. I really hope that happens and you end up growing this and it becomes like a proper usable daily driver thing. And I, if it was available for the 3T, I would... I'd, basically be using it now i think <laughs> all right well then we're gonna have to support the 3t <laughs> yeah so uh if people want to find out about it then where, where's the best place to go yeah uh maruos.com m-a-r-u-o-s.com uh check it out we got uh, you can check out you know, download it for your phone and get up and running in no time we have a link to the documentation right there it's a very simple install guide it's about 10 to 12 steps you should be up and running in about five to ten minutes cool well thanks a lot for um coming on the show yeah it was an absolute pleasure thanks for having me I like to commend you trying to push the old three uh, one plus three T there. I would very much like yeah. them to have that because I really would like to try this because it does sound pretty damn cool. You can't get plasma running though, unfortunately, so you'd be stuck with XFCA. I take it all back. I don't want to touch it. <laughs> no, it, it would be good because I mean it, it's a really interesting idea where you can have essentially two two devices in one and an actual use a useful sort of both of them. It's different than all the other types of convergence that are knocking around. Well, except maybe the Samsung one. But I mean, let's face it, Samsung just copied this anyway with DeX, didn't they? Obviously, yeah. But yeah, exactly. It's not trying to sort of shoehorn one thing into the other. It's just using existing open source technologies to give you a solid phone OS and a solid desktop OS that can just run concurrently. And the the Chromecast stuff, as you flagged up there, Will, that is really important, I think, to not have to piss around with cables and everything. If you've got a Chromecast, you've got some sort of Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, you're just off to the races without anything. Yeah, I I see this being huge for people that turn up to do talks at, uh, you know... Technical conferences and um, and meetups and that kind of thing. You could just take your phone and if the hardware supports Chromecast or stick a Chromecast in your pocket, whatever, um, and you're good to go and you don't have to take a laptop with you. And, you know, there must be thousands of people who are looking for exactly that thing. Yeah, well, I'm really hoping, as I said in the interview, that it will get ported to tons more devices and 
that you'll get an OEM deal and it will just really take off because I've been wanting this for so long, ever since I heard about Convergence with Ubuntu. And I thought, mm, th- th- I don't like that aspect of it. I don't like that aspect of it. Then I heard about Maru and I was like, that is exactly what I want in Convergence. So yeah, here's hoping. Right, well, we better get out of here then. Uh, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks when hopefully Graham will be back. Not with all broken limbs. Yes, hopefully he didn't fall off his snowboard too often. Um, but yes, until then, then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. And I've been Will. See you later. Mm-hmm.